Hannah Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Ohio Politics Explained, the one day I'll get a slow news week edition. This week, we're explaining the status of gun laws in Ohio and whether anything will change, why Ohio holds back thousands of third graders, the latest twist in the redistricting saga, and what constitutional amendments might be on your ballot this November. Joining me this week is reporter Laura Bischoff. Welcome back. Hey, Anna, I hate to crush your hopes and dreams, but we're never going to get a slow news week. (laughs) I know. I know. There's this uh, Chinese curse that's may you live in interesting times. And I've really felt that the last couple of, well, years. So our first topic today is the deadly school shooting in Texas. 19 children and two teachers were murdered in their classroom on Tuesday. And it's, you know, it's unimaginable to me as a parent. I walk my daughter to the school bus most mornings and the idea that she wouldn't come home bounding off that big yellow bus is, I don't know, like words fail me and I write words for a living. Yeah, it's absolutely terrible. You know, it's uh, every parent's worst nightmare, what happened in Uldave and what happened at Sandy Hook and what happened in, I mean, there's so many of these shootings, it's, you, you lose track, which yeah. is ridiculous. Even the uh, Buffalo shooting in the grocery store just a couple weeks ago. So I think words fail a lot of Ohioans, too. And these tragedies have renewed the call to action from 2019 at the Dayton, Oregon district shooting, where people said, do something. They wanted something to change here in Ohio. And largely the laws around guns in Ohio haven't changed in the way most people meant it. Instead, what's happened is we've seen um, a permitless carry bill pass and a stand your ground bill pass. So I guess the question on everyone's mind is, will this school shooting in Texas have us do anything? anything here. You know, I don't I don't think so. I think that the legislature is pretty well set on how they view gun rights. Uh, they'd rather expand the gun rights. They don't believe that uh, gun control is the answer. And ma- as a matter of fact, a lot of um, lawmakers think that uh, expanding gun rights, giving guns to more people would enable and empower people to stop uh, these kinds of shootings from happening or from uh, cascading. You know, after the Dayton shooting in August of 2019, that was in which nine people were killed, others were uh, hit as well, and just lots of people were traumatized by it. There was a really dramatic moment in a, a vigil just I think it was like the day after, uh, right at the spot where the shooting happened. And uh, yeah, you're right. People started to shout, do something, do something at the governor. And he, he said he would. And he introduced um, a package of, of reforms called Strong Ohio. He did that just a couple months later. It called for like a, a red flag light, which would be expanding mental health holds for people, um, uploading more outstanding arrest warrants so that the background checks were improved, creating like a state-run background check for private gun sales, increasing penalties for gun crimes. But, you know, for a lot of people, it didn't go far enough. And for a lot of other people, it went too far, depending on where they were on the issue. Yeah. um, Actually, the one bill that I think could move forward in the legislature before we wrap up in December is something called House Bill 99. And this would lower the number of training hours for teachers and other school personnel to carry weapons inside schools. So right now it's about 700-ish hours. It's basically like police uh, peace officer training. And this would bring it down to 20 total hours of training. Now, I should say that's just a minimum. 
like a school district would be free to set more training hours and they could go all the way up to that peace officer training of 700, but the minimum required would be 20. Right. This stems out of a court case in which um, I think there was a, a school district down in Butler County had yeah. um, had a arm your teachers um, program and the training was, I think, the CCW class and maybe a little bit more. And some parents sued and said, no, that's not enough. And the court came back and said, you have to have this 700 hours of peace officer training or be a retired police officer. And the lawmakers didn't like that. And so this is this bill is to remedy that. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's it's passed the House on party lines and it's sitting in the Senate and it's had one hearing um, that was on March 29th. But it hasn't moved since. But uh, Senate President Matt Huffman says that he thinks it will move soon, that it is something that they would consider a priority now in the wake of the Texas shooting. But, you know, law enforcement has some real issues with this legislation. They say that, you know, 20 hours is not enough training. They worry about shooting teachers who they mistake for active shooters. They worry about teachers shooting students. They worry about students getting their hands on the weapons and hurting each other. There was a case in central Ohio two years ago, I think, maybe more, where they had had one of these policies prior to the lawsuit. Um, parents didn't know about it. And the woman was watching her grandson and he she left the room. It was in her handbag and he got it out and pointed it at another student. Now, nobody was shot. Nobody was hurt. But that's the kind of concern. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of teachers that are worried about that as well, because, you know, if you've ever been in a large high school um, at class change time, it is pretty chaotic. And I can't even imagine um, if somebody was uh, trying to pick out the shooter in that kind of chaos with minimal training. So our second topic also deals with schools, specifically whether public schools should retain or hold back third graders who fail the statewide reading test. So more than 39,000 Ohio children have failed the statewide reading test and the alternative assessments, and they were mandated with some exceptions to repeat third grade. That's since 2014. And the idea is basically that kids learn to read between kindergarten and third before reading to learn for the rest of their education. But ah, there's been some studies on this. There's been some lawmakers, teacher feedback, like the majority of people feel like this hasn't gone as planned and they would like to get rid of it. Yeah, this is a hard choice. I mean, there's a lot of stigma and um, trauma that's associated with being held back versus this crucial need to learn to read. Um, This was a this third grade reading guarantee was something that um, Republican Governor John Kasich put through. And it turns out, I think from your story, I read that it tends to fall more heavily on low income students and districts. And, and you know, helping kids who are struggling with reading um, really requires trained specialists. You can work with them one on one. That's the way to unlock that for those kids. And so anyway, it's interesting to see that it's kind of getting a, a look back now that it's been in place for several years. Yeah. The big question um, that the folks sponsoring this bill, well, Rep. Gail Manning, she's a Republican, but she also used to be a third grade teacher. So she knows firsthand how this goes. And she's like, there's a real balance between, yes, we need them to read and we need kids reading at grade level because it's important to their entire education. But there also is negative uh, educational impacts from holding a kid back. And sometimes it creates a hate of reading or it makes them feel like they are dumb or they're not good at this or they can't do school. And it also increases the likelihood that they will drop out. So it's this real balance between like, is not reading at grade level causing them to drop out or is being held back causing them to drop out? Right. Or is sometimes what's going on outside the home causing them to drop out? It's very like there's so much that goes into like what a student needs to succeed. Absolutely. But you're right. Like the foundation for everything that comes in school and stuff you have to do in life is reading and writing. So... 
And speaking of reading and writing, you and I did some big reading the other day about redistricting. The Ohio Supreme Court rejected another set of state House and Senate maps this week. And for those of you that are keeping score, this was the fifth set of maps they've rejected. And it's the second time they rejected this specific set of maps. Yeah, remember way back when, when we were going to be done with this, like in September, October? (laughs) Yeah, no. Here we are months later, and this fight is still going on. Again, it was another 4-3 majority um, split on the Ohio uh, Supreme Court that told the Ohio Redistricting Commission, hey, you know that third map that we told you was unconstitutional? Well, it's still unconstitutional. Go do it again. And the chief justice of the Supreme Court was pretty ticked off in her opinion, or at least that was my interpretation of it, because this was literally resubmitting that third set of maps. And the reason they did this is because there's a federal court, so completely different court, that said, hey, if you Ohio folks, if you can't figure this out by May 28th, we're going to impose that third set of maps for November because you need to get your poop in a group because you're running out of time. And so the Republicans on the commission were like, fine, we'll just send and the state Supreme Court, the third set of maps again, because that's what we're going to use, because that's what the federal court said. And Maureen O'Connor was like, yeah, that's not cool, because the federal court was like, oh, they'll they appeal to their better angels, right, that they are statesmen, that they will try to work this out. And she's like, yeah, that didn't happen. Now, did it? The takeaway from Maureen O'Connor, who's a Republican, she served in statewide office uh, longer than any woman in Ohio history. She'll be leaving the court December 31st. The takeaway from her concurrence uh, Um, opinion was she urged voters to go back to the ballot for some sort of new redistricting system because she said the one that we got right now is not working. Yeah, that was kind of crazy. And it does look like that it's entirely possible that on Saturday, we will get a final ruling from the federal court setting that third map up for November. I know everybody who's going to be celebrating Memorial Day weekend is going to be sitting on the edge of their lawn chairs waiting for that to come out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Our final topic is actually two potential state constitutional amendments that we all might be voting on in November. The first is an amendment that would ban local governments from letting people who aren't U.S. citizens vote in local elections. And I want to be clear here. This isn't about state elections or federal elections. Like the federal government has strict rules to prevent non-citizens from voting in those races. But local elections are a little bit different. And in New York City, they recently let non-citizens vote in their race for mayor. And apparently the Republicans in Ohio have really, really strong feelings about that. Right. I mean, I don't think it's going to happen. I think this is a way, it's a way of guarding against potential problems. And uh, we'll see if it if it makes the ballot. I think it will, right? Yeah, I think it probably will. And, you know, I think the city of Yellow Springs did try to do this and uh, the attorney general shut it down pretty quickly. So it is something that like could happen, but uh, there are no major cities in Ohio that have attempted to allow non-citizens to vote as of yet. And the second potential amendment is one Laura has been covering for our team, and it deals with what kinds of things judges can consider when it comes to setting bail. And since you're the expert, I'm going to let you explain it. Okay, this stems from another 4-3 decision by the Ohio Supreme Court that came out in January, and it got Republican political politicos kind of upset and itching to put their own constitutional amendment on the statewide ballot. The court decision said you can't set mail, mail uh, money bail 
based on public safety concerns. You can only do it to ensure that a defendant comes back to court. You can put other bail restrictions on, like, you know, wearing an ankle monitor, having to blow in a breathalyzer or chucking in drug tests, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But you can't, they said that under the federal and the state constitution, uh, excessive bail for the purpose of just keeping people in is not allowed. So this amendment is likely to get final legislative approval next week, and it would require uh, judges to consider public safety and the seriousness of the charge to be considered when determining bail. Now, opponents say that this is not going to make Ohio safer because rich and dangerous people can still get out, just pay the pay the fee. And it may cause, um, you know, poorer people who are dangerous or not, they're going to have to sit in jail because they can't come up with the money. Yeah. And I'm, you know, on the floor the other day of the House, there were some arguments about racial bias, too, that um, black defenders, specifically black male defenders, are often seen as more dangerous um, or interpreted to be more dangerous. So they may experience this disproportionately. Yeah. I mean, keep it keep in mind, like a bedrock of our constitution of our of our rights is that you're innocent until proven guilty. Mm -hmm. And so if you're going to get charged with something pretty serious and you have no prior convictions and you have ties to the community um, and it doesn't look like you're a flight risk, you know, at what point under what circumstances should you uh, be kept in jail? It really comes down to a matter of fairness, finances and constitutional rights. And one more thing before you go. The city of Delaware won't be flying any pride flags during its annual parade this year because of a U.S. Supreme Court ruling. So it's a little weird, but here's what happened. So this guy in Boston named Harold Schultleff, I probably just butchered his name, so I apologize. Anyway, Harold wanted to display a Christian flag outside Boston City Hall. The flag would have been one of more than 100 that they were allowing private groups to fly temporarily. Boston said no because it was a religious flag and that would violate the Constitution's Establishment Clause, which says you can't establish a religion. Lower courts said Boston was right, but the U.S. Supreme Court unanimously said Boston was wrong because the public was deciding, not the government. And Delaware had a policy on flags which required the city to have some input on which flags were chosen, and they thought that was a little squeaky. So they said that for right now, they want to avoid controversy and all banners and flags that serve the good of the community are okay, but they cannot be political, commercial, or religious in nature. I think that's a, that's going to be a subjective um, decision on which flags are non-political and which ones serve um, the community good. Because really, there's a lot of controversy over what flags and what symbols represent America. And we can all agree on, uh, think about how NFL players are kneeling over race, what they see as a racist system. So I don't know, this flag flap is kind of interesting. It is. And I, you know, I think you're right in that, like, we were talking about before we started recording, because we do talk before we record, (laughs) but like how Arbor Day flags or other flags that you might see as benign, some people can interpret to be a political statement. And especially in today's world of get mad, ask questions later, it's entirely possible that someone could be offended by what the city thought was a pretty benign piece of cloth. But you can still fly your own flag at your own house. Oh, yeah. If you live in Delaware and you want to put a pride flag up, nobody can tell you that you can't. Unless you live in an HOA and then it gets really squicky because I have a bunch of weird rules. Exactly. And if you want to learn more about any of the topics we covered, check us out online at the Alliance Review. That's the-review.com. 